I have a problem, guys. Every morning, the first thing I think about doing is going to my phone and cleaning out my inbox. Because yes, being organized gives me a sense of peace, a sense of calm, really. But it's also a huge waste of time. Honestly, I'm tuckered out. See what I did there? From trying to get to the inbox zero status. Thankfully, there is a sane solution to this. Sane Box is the easiest way to automatically organize your inbox and keep it that way forever. Sane Box sorts your emails for you, keeping unimportant emails out of your inbox. You know, with subject lines like youareawinner.com, so you can focus on what really matters. With just a few clicks, Sane Box automatically gets your email under control and makes keeping it that way forever super easy. It also has some sweet features like one-click unsubscribe, which sends annoying emails into the aptly named black hole, and automatic tracking of messages that haven't received replies so you can see what needs following up. See how SaneBox can help you reclaim your time and attention with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com slash Tuckered Out today to start your free trial and get a $35 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash Tuckered Out. Hello, hello. Welcome to Tuckered Out with me, Ami Tucker. So this past month, the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act, an act that would have created national standards for policing in an effort to increase accountability, sadly couldn't reach a bipartisan deal, leaving it dead in the water. Now, we all have heard about the horrific killing of George Floyd and the protests that occurred after. And today, I interview Rahul Dubai, one of Time Magazine's heroes of 2020, who simply, as he puts it, opened the door to those in need. A little bit of a background on this story. On June 1st, he was at home in D.C., and demonstrators were filling the streets of Washington, D.C. to protest the killing of George Floyd. This is June 1st, 2020. After a 7 p.m. curfew, he noticed crowds in the street outside who were seemingly trapped and being pepper sprayed by the police. We talk about his story of housing 70 protesters overnight to help them avoid curfew and how that one night changed his life. Please enjoy my interview with Rahul Dubai. And how how is everything going? How's your day? You know, it's it's good. Um, a lot of different things go, going on as always, like everybody. But it just it's weird when something hits you. So I, Jeff Bezos, I see a picture of Bezos with the president of Colombia, and they got their arms around each other, and he's donating you know a billion dollars for biodiversity. And I'm like, oh, a gut punch. And everyone's like, that's a lot you can do. I'm like, first of all, it's Colombia. The president's going to get about ninety nine point nine percent of that and dole it out to his friends. 
The other is right. the American Petroleum Institute started, you know, recycling. They're the ones that created the blue bin so we wouldn't feel guilty. So I just kind of see all of that coming in. Um, yeah, so it just kind of throws you off a little bit. I've been, it's been a tough week for um, the police, which is now part of my new skin. Um, okay. Yeah, harass, harassment on uh, a Monday, and I you know turned that into something else, and, and kind of turned trying to turn that into love. And there was a, a black woman getting kind of harassed by the police uh, yesterday, and so I just stood there silently, recorded, and just talked to her, and just kept her company. They made her stand outside in the rain for an hour and eight minutes, you know, and it just you're where that's was a lot this? Of this is two blocks from me. I mean, this happens. This Man. is happening. This police presence is happening, and now that like the curtains pull back, I'm sure. There were equal amount of cops around me at all times, but I'm seeing it now, right? Like I'm, I'm trying, my eyes are right. open. And you're also seeing behavior, like little things like when I'm standing there, I'm a good, I mean, a good 10 feet away, unless she asked me to come closer and like we would right. change that. And as soon as they would right. see me, they would come up. There were like six of them that came like separate times in the hour and eight minutes. So you, you, you have a right to record, sir, but you have to back up. I'm like, what? Like, she asked me to stay. Her phone was stolen, like, and she doesn't have a phone. And she looked at me and asked me to stay. So I stayed, right? Like, there's this learning right. that's happening while the emotions are going up, you know? And, like, this white detective comes in and, like, you know, I need you to back up. I'm a good 15 feet at this time. Like, there's no reason for me to back up, but it's the power. Right, right. And he's like, what's your name? I'm like, Rahul Dubey. He's like, okay, Rob. I'm like, no, sir, it's Rahul. Say this with me. I mean, I have it on. I'm filming. I'm like, you don't get to come. I'm like, it's Rahul. He's like, Rahul. I'm like, spell it. R A. And like, just like, listen to me. If you guys went through this cultural training, I mean, and it's not that it's upsetting. But have they? Call. Have they gone through this cultural training? Is this legit? Sure. Check a box. I mean, just like anything else. Like, I mean, I'm coming out of, you know, 11 years in healthcare and I'm still in it, but it's like, sure. Do we care about patient engagement? Yes. We actually brought in this guy from Disney and they right. talked about how we can make it magical. And I'm like, Oh great. And I love the Disney Institute. They've done some really good thing with UX and voice of the customer. And I love implementing right. that, but right. You know, there's this check the box things that we do uh, in the name of, you know, CYA or it's a good idea, but right. I mean, look at every aspect from the decisions that are made from the corporate boardroom to our managers, to even the people we're friends with on social media you know, it's this this validation of like, you know, I'm going to say this, I'm going to post this, or I'm going to, you know, all of these things to go through, but they're all ideas that are coming from people, non people of color and, and that are making these decisions, right? Of like what right. we should do to be sensitive to, you know, uh, black, the black community or be inclusive to yeah. Asians. And it's like, where's the Asian? Where's the, where's the black community? Well, they're deciding it in their own non-colored way how to fix what they do to colored people, and it doesn't make any sense. Well, here's the thing: we're like, have you been? We can get really in the minutia about the the procurement process, right? So even think of the government procurement process, municipalities, all the things to submit bids to be a consultant about diversity. Okay, and okay, you have to write a, a request for proposal. Guess who's writing that proposal? The mayor who has no idea what they're even asking for so it's like oh the consultant yeah. must have five years experience it must be 36 percent people of color it must be an established dc and these are the criteria that you put down on something that's never been really vetted before so you're making the selection oh we used tom last time he was great about sexual harassment let's bring him in and then we can use this template that another association is using and it's like right 
It's like me what? coming in and saying, let's get Rahul, he was really good at healthcare innovation, to talk about radical change in transportation. Right. Yeah. No, totally. And also, so today, all I was just thinking, I'm, I'm, I listen to the Daily every morning on the podcast, and the House, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act yeah. has come to, officially come to a halt today, which was, you know, it would have created national standards for policing in an effort to increase accountability. So they couldn't come to any kind of bipartisan agreement. And I was like, what a perfect day to be talking to Rahul. Like, this is just, <laughs> this is just amazing. We're going to touch on June 1st, 2020. And then beyond that, of course, you know, because I know you've told that story, but I kind of want you, you know, it's been over a year now and I kind of want you to describe to me or, you know, looking back at it now a year and, and some change later, do you look back at that day in a different light? Are you able to kind of dissect it, maybe understand it, maybe, uh, you know, describe it in a different way now that time has passed? Yeah. Well, no one's asked me that. That's, uh, I mean, they've said, what have I learned and things like that. But going back in, and I'm going to it in my head right now, it's exactly the same. It is okay. and because it's the fundament. It's the fundamentals. I mean, it was pure instinctual good versus evil innocence versus pure terror and I, if i play it again it's that and the decision boils okay. down to that it was no matter what the uniform what they were wearing what color anyone was when you look at the mass population it was very easy for me to see good versus evil um, right so that didn't change what okay. has changed is my perception and my reality not in the physical form because i've been operating in this world for you know 40 plus years now so what has changed was, oh my God, how wrong have I had? Um, and then I need to actually go out there and make sure that my perception, because I don't want to believe it, not because I don't want to be wrong, because right. to really understand that white supremacy and that that much evil exists in this world um, is very hard to swallow for, for, I think, anybody. Well, not only that, but it has been existing around us since all you and I have been born and raised here. Right. And never really, we never really, we never really realized it for no. many, many reasons. Don't you think a lot of South Asians are going through that right now? I th I think so. I th but I also think that it's. I can tell you that it is very terrifying to go through what is this this cognitive bias that we have. We've been programmed. I am trying to unwind myself. This is not a negative thing, right? I mean, I'm trying to right, unwind myself right. on everything from. Abraham Lincoln, I mean, that's my temple down the street is the Lincoln Memorial since I was 20 years old, right? And going there by myself, thinking, meditating, eating bagels, drinking coffee, you know, trying to impress women, whatever you think, right? Like that's been, and then to realize that that is not necessarily true, right? These, uh, it's, it's mind boggling, not because I was wrong. Oh, well, it was like, okay, what else foundational in my life? Isn't it true? My parents right. coming over with this dream, absolutely achieving it. Look at you and I. I mean, and, right. and being privileged and doing so. But, you know, I look at it and saying, OK, they had to stay under the radar. Model minorities stay there. I mean, I can't imagine the political ramifications my dad had as a five foot four Indian guy with an accent who dressed well to fit in. But, right. you know, being an SVP in a white world in the suburbs of Detroit, you try to understand that. And it's like, what's next for us? I'm, that is not me. And nor right. should it, should he, I think in his heart of hearts, would he want me to go through that and endure that? No, of right? course, so of course. Where do we come in here? It's, you know, you know, it, it's traditionally we are the next version. 
okay? And we have come right. here as South Asians, as we were brought here, remember that when they stopped bringing slaves from Africa over, they went to our subcontinent. They went right. and grabbed us and threw us into what is called the West Indies. And we had right. to fight for ourselves. So there's that affinity from ancient times, okay? to right. now and yet we have not grasped onto it because it was kind of like fly under the radar. I remember specifically asking my dad, getting very excited that he came over in 1967 when I learned about the riots and like the, the civil rights movement, I was like, man, how did they treat you? Thinking he was clubbed or like protested and marched. Like I remember being like 10 and asking him this question. He's like, we didn't do any of that. They didn't care. There weren't enough of us. We weren't right. a problem. Right. And I was like, but isn't that the definition of a minority? Not having, like, like, I remember thinking that the definition is a minority, but yet it wasn't even admitted that we were a minority in my house. Well, I have, I have something to say, so a question about that. So yeah. two things. One, uh, my dad came same year. So I feel like one, when I talked to my parents about this stuff, they, when they came here, they, their only focus was to make it, right? Yep. They weren't worried about the culture of America, the minority, the all that stuff that we are understanding now. I can understand why it's like they wanted to ignore that. And it, they were just there to make it, to get that job, to make that career, to make that money, to help family back home, whatever it is, you know? And then the second thing, second point, I feel like I asked my dad this because they, when they, when he moved, he went to Clemson graduate school. Yeah. And then, and then we lived in West Virginia. That's where I was born. Charleston, West Virginia. Not the friendliest place for color people. A lot of diversity there, huh? Oh, I know. Totally. Thank God we got out of there. Um, I, and I asked my parents to this day, I'm like, do you recall any feeling the racism, any, uh, anything that happened to you guys that was kind of negative? Both my parents said that they never felt anything. And I just don't believe them. I just yeah. don't think they knew. So I'm wondering... Does do your parents feel the same way? Okay, I mean, I feel the same way. Okay, that's that's that amazing that you said that. Up until June first, I have never ever felt discriminated against, unless you know it was someone blatantly in the, right. the schoolyard or like some hick in Albuquerque, New Mexico, whatever. Right, right, like, right, right. But never did I equate anything, whether it was academics, which I wasn't good at, or even like corporate innovation which i was really good at and like speaking and all this i never thought until i actually had to revisit it and then it was like oh my god every single way right like why did the gym teacher look at billy and be like yeah go ahead hit the showers and then look at me and say you know what your problem is and i'm like okay yeah and everywhere you went and it's not like i didn't like i just skirted it because the energy involved in that Right. It's not worth it, right? Just, right. okay, but I'll just keep going. It's good. Everything will be fine. Whether I, I'm not a mama's boy at all, but at, you hear these. These are the people who form you and shape you. And thank God I have the, one of the greatest sisters on the planet because that's what gives me the love and gives me the fuel, right? So okay. when you see that, it's to dissect it. Like, and, and when you, June 1st, it was the moment where I was like, you know what, my instincts of that why aren't we drawn to the black community and the Latino community? It's color, it's festive, it's loud it's laughter it's dancing it's music it's, it's us it's us right yeah, it's yeah. beyond belief and proud and like that's why in my I went to an all boys prep school catholic school in you know hindu kid brown in a white place in the suburbs of detroit and i remember being drawn to the all black table which were all these amazing kids my freshman year 
And my first semester, I would actually hang out at the all black table for lunch and breakfast and everything. And I remember after Christmas break, <laughs> Patrick was his name. I came out of the cafeteria, he goes, hey, Dubay. He goes, you know, you're not black, right? And I go, yeah. He goes, come sit with us next lunch period. And I did. That's how I was 14. And I was just like, yeah, well, I'm supposed to be like Pat. So I did. It was all these jocks. And that was it. I became preppy boy the rest yeah. of the way. And right. it just was like, there were a few people that were like, okay, we get it. We understand. We're still friends. And I wave with them. But I just, it was a separation. And it felt like ever since that moment, I've been racing to fit in. Where right. there was acceptance of my dysfunction and my differences and the, the fact that I was weird, right? And like, my name was Rahul and no one knew wh whether I was whatever. What's it do with that? What's it, Rob, right? Rob, matter. Like, yeah. I remember seeing their families at graduation. I didn't see them. I never went to their houses again, right? And the mothers were just so happy to see me like three and a half years later. I remember they were honking their horns, hey, Rahul. Like, and I totally shunned their son. Like, and that was like, the moment that I had the 70 plus in this house under the most aggressive, violent situation I've ever been in, and them as well, I saw it again. I right. saw this community. It didn't matter. We had 65% black, other, white, right. straight, gay. Everyone was here. And it was just like this human connected affinity right. that I know when you ask, going back to the question of why do you think it's so hard for South Asians? It is still very hard for me. Right. And I experienced that beauty i cry over how that's great to cry over joy a lot and it's like because right. i know it's possible and the thing is we don't want to overstep we're right. way too worried about what other people think including our own people okay and well, I it's, it's low ganga right i'm telling you i just said it we can talk about mentorship and some other i'm still close with about 20 people that were in this house an 18-year-old black girl named Taylor, who's amazing, was here yesterday, just needed a safe space to hang out. That was literally my next question. I wanted <laughs> to know who, who who, out of that crew are you in touch with? Oh, wow. I mean, I'd say I'm in touch with about 40, of, 40 50 of them. That's like, amazing. And stuff. But I'd say on a constant flow, there's a good rotation of 10 to 12 that are here at least once a week. Um, you know, amazing. And that's the gift. Here's the thing about that is that you have just such a spectacular, blessed, magical, tragic night, but it turned into beauty, and and I'm grateful for that. But it's like, like to have that gift, right? I'm not saying it's the only thing that's going to make us transform, but like to be able to like experience it versus hearing from someone else, like that. That's what gives us the opportunity, and it's like there's a reason why. They were on the street. There was a reason right. why I was home. There was a reason why I opened the door. And there's a reason why we continue to stay in touch. And it's like, right. that is a gift. And you cannot, for, I don't care if I'm tired. I don't care if I'm busy. I don't care if I'm broke. Like, that is a magic that is so unique that if we don't, I don't know what it is yet, Ami, but I can tell you that it's a collective. And that's I mean, not, not to sound cheesy, but it was, it was, it's the whole, it's meant to be. It's a spiritual thing. Yeah, like, I was, I was reading much. the street that you live on. It, correct me if I'm wrong, is a one-way street, quiet, pretty, tree-lined street in D.C. that never sees that much action. It's just a nice, <laughs> right. So the fact that they, the police push these protesters, I believe, to that street yeah. is insane. And there's, you know, there's a church on the corner that's barricading it. You know, I'm not, the, the crazy thing that happened here on Swan Street, 
I have a social impact endeavor in Medellin, Colombia that I started in 2000. My first trip there was in 2018, but I started in 2019. So almost like a year and a half before Swan, Swan Street happened. Right. There was Operation Orion that took place in my neighborhood, which is Commune 13, where they sent a thousand troops, two military helicopters into that neighborhood of 200,000 people, the poorest barrio in South America, to extract 500 insurgents. And in doing so, they killed over 900 people. It lasted four days, bullets flying on your civilians. And I know this story because it's ingrained in the community where I now have a home and garment factory, art gallery, shoe company, all of that. Which so I, de- right. I definitely want to talk about that. Yeah, I, well, that, yeah, which, no there, question. Yeah. But that took place there in 2002. And they told me stories about it. They told me about what was happening. Stephen, my co-founder, who is now 23, laid under a mattress with his mother for four days while bullets blazed through their little barrio hut, okay? And I know this story and I'm standing on my stoop and I see 150 troops on the corner, military police authorities, feds, and a military helicopter over my head and 400 people on my street. And I'm going, uh-uh, uh-uh. like, it's not right. I didn't make the correlation yet, but I'm like, uh-uh, hair goes up on your head. And you hear bang, and as you like, it's my hair is going up right now. Like, it is like no warning, nothing. Everyone's saying, "Let us go home, let us go home," and all of a sudden, you hear boom and move, and they just just screams that I will never get out of my head. And I flung open the door, and all of a sudden, the people just started running into this house. Like the police are chasing after people. That's what I don't understand. It's not that it's a fight. They are. It's they unleashed hell, and it was a hunt. They were out. They were salivating. Were they, they breaking into your house, or like they they tried? They sprayed into this big bay window. The windows were open on June first. Oh, they shit. are standing on the ledge. They spraying in. This is all filled up with people. You'll see it in the movie. Yeah, I did. I did see. I did see a clip of the Vimeo. The Vimeo. Right, okay. right. Right. I mean, it was pandemonium. It was about for an hour and a half. It took about ten minutes to get everyone in the house. Slam the door pandemonium in here for an hour and a half. No, I can't see anything. How did you know, Rahul? Like, this is maybe a random question. How did you know when to close that door? You just try to get as many people as you could, and that was it? I was up on the stoop. It's it's great. And I'm about 30 yards from the corner. So think of it from my steps. 30 yards out is packed with a sea of people. And the police start moving. So they start shrinking. My door is here, okay? Right. Boom, boom, boom. Now, people are getting crunched. They're coming up the steps, and all of a sudden the police line stops at my stairs, and I look in the wake. There's no one there. So when that last person was running up, I knew he was the last person because it was empty after they Got cleared it. it. They didn't Got it. just get one or two. I mean, they swept it. So there was. So I waited. I was watching the police line and watching that last person come all the way up. And Got when it. they came in, I I saw a video from BBC. I tapped him on the shoulder. I looked right at the commanding officer, and I locked the door. And it's that like was a freaking it. Like, movie. I was out of my body at the moment. I mean, I got hit with pepper spray and kept moving. I, and I don't, I remember white stuff on the side of my face, but yeah, I was in. And so. I, I want to ask you something personal really quick. Yeah. And I don't know if anyone's asked you this. You have a son, correct? Yeah. I do. 13 year old son? He's 14 now, yeah. 14. So teenager, oh my God, scary. Mm-hmm. Let me know how that goes. I'm right behind you. <laughs> if he was home that day, what would you have done? I say that I won't open the door, but I guarantee you, and I say it to him too. I mean, our relationship's awesome, but I probably, I said, I'm like, he was sitting next to me and someone asked me that question at dinner and I'm okay. like, I probably wouldn't. And then I looked at him and I go, 
I absolutely would. I would have told him to go upstairs into his room, lock the door and don't come out. And I guarantee you, I, he would have been out of his room helping people wash their eyes. That's awesome. I figured, yeah. I figured yeah. as much. No um, question. I mean, he's, uh, yeah, yeah. He, like you can tell, I never once felt in danger until the cops were, when yeah. I was dealing with them. That's what I meant. Like, Not I the protesters, running, but just the... In the house. There was no danger. Right. You could see it in their eyes. It was, I mean, it was fear, right. but there was nothing. I wasn't scared of them. I was right, scared something was going to happen to them. Right. Right. There was a huge difference. I was never scared in that moment that they were going to hurt me. I yeah. wasn't worried that my house was going to get ransacked. That was one of the major metrics. Like I had to go to my, my, my analytic mind here. Like, oh my God, you know, they're looters and rioters. I'm like, if they were looters and rioters, do you think my house would still be standing? Do you think right. the back fence would still be up? They would have kicked it down and ran through the back alleys. Right, right. Stuff. They totally. came and huddled. Yeah. Looters and they, riders do not huddle. They kick no. and scream and fight and like throw things. They need a protection. There's only one thing that was broken. It's an amazing statue that I got on pilgrimage in Bali that this guy whittled for me. It's the only thing Aww. that broke. It's okay because it yeah. was meant to be. Yeah, meant to like, be. It was absolutely meant to be that this, you have 70, over 100 people were in this house at a time, I think. But right. 72 people and the only thing that broke is one statue in a room full of all of this stuff. I mean... You know, the funny thing is I took the statues to the Gandhi Memorial and the Lincoln Memorial like a month before during COVID to ask for like, you know, right towers or something. I don't know. It was just a sign, like give us something. strength. Right. And all of a sudden it's the only man, thing. Man, you right. are you you are assigned this, man. <laughs> By whatever higher power you want to call it. You know, like how are you supposed to be in Medellin, Colombia? You'll know the story of Operation Orion. Have these pious of people who are the most underserved people on the planet teach you right. a lesson about life that is universal. They've been teaching me. Like this wasn't, okay, Rahul, what do you do in this situation? This is compounded. Everything right. we do is compounded. Well, I just right? love it because you've obviously I read uh, a lot of your articles. Uh, and my, my favorite quote of yours is, I just opened the door. It's just, it's just beautiful. Like, yeah, just open the door. Like you're like, if that is what it takes to be a hero, we have a lot to work on. I'm such a fraud. Literally. The only thing I did was open the door. They did everything. I walked up the stairs yesterday. I'm like, if they only knew, like literally like, no, 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 you can't, you can't, you can't call yourself a fraud. It's just, I mean, no, I mean, I did it, but it's like, you did it. I mean, yeah. I opened the door and then they took over. We took over. You didn't just check a box, Rahul. Like you did it. Right. right, like right. that's that's, the that's, that's the difference. And so I saw uh, Saya actually sent me that video. I think it's a couple of minutes long. Don't want to talk about all that. And I think there was a protester, uh, a lady that was recording you speaking, saying, "Yes, you're allowed to stay here." She was saying she was gonna. Oh, uh, Jenny. Yeah, Jenny's great. Yeah, I, I guess the police were saying, "Oh, you guys are uh, trespassing, and you're not allowed in there." So she was trying to prove that yes, we are invited. This is a this is a, it lives in the house. And you were briefly talking about your interaction with the police and how they let you go. Yeah. And I think, I think she asked something along the lines of why or what, what happened. And you're like, yeah, they let me go because I wasn't black. First time I've ever said something like that. Yeah. That's and pretty powerful. Mouth. And I work with 18 CEOs of billion dollar healthcare companies, um, driving innovation and, and change and culture too. I can tell you, I've, I lost four clients for saying that, and I really am excited that I lost them because they showed me who they are. What was the? What, did they give any reason, or are they just like peace? We're done? Oh, but budgetary reasons. But you know, oh, of course, of course. So that's a, that's a reason. That's a reason <laughs> yeah, enough. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, they told me 
this was after we had a conversation how they weren't pleased that I said that and that I was wrong in saying that there could have been a lot of other factors. There were no other factors. And it was from the gut. It came out. It was absolutely right. I had been right. interacting with police officer. I mean, they let me come through for the sole reason I lived on the street and that I'm not black. Had I been a black resident of the street, there's no way they would have let me through. I right. had a reason with them, too, to let me through. So and then I see it all, all the time. Saying that was that was the reality check, right? Where right. It was before there was no black or white, there's no discrimination. Keep your head down, work hard. That person's an asshole, not a racist. OK, right. and right. then there's this transformation that's happening in real time to here. Here's a moment not to spin. I didn't even know I was spinning. I didn't even know we were on the news or the outside world even knew. I didn't oh, no, you could tell up. you were like in it and you said it from the gut. Like you, that was just your reaction. That right. Was a so true statement. why didn't, well, listen, let's be real. They're freaking terrorizing us. Let's get real why they're doing that. It's because I'm not black. And because I'm not black, I'm able to be here and you are too. So there's all these things that were going through my head. It wasn't a blame thing. It was like reality check. Right. Right. No, it was, that, it was that powerful. So now that I'm not black and I can sneak around and like kind of get in and out of borders and behind like areas, it's called losing your, using your privilege. Right. 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 So, when you said that, I was like, I was like slow clapping because <laughs> I mean, people don't say it. They don't. But I think, look at it. It's like, but here's the thing. Like I can say it is like, I'm not black. And people are like, I'm not black and I shouldn't get involved. I'm not black. And guess what? They won't see us coming. That's why the South Asian population, that's why the Jewish population. That's why the, the Latinx population. Imagine if we convene. We're already making up 43% of this country right. Right, on paper. I mean, we're probably above that, well above that. Wow. But imagine if we convened. That is what, I mean, it's success for me to transfer healthcare. I had the hospitals with the insurance companies, which is like, you know, you know they don't get along. Pharma and pharmacists, right. all at the table together. And that's the only way we're going to drive that systemic change. But it comes with being very honest. Like, how is it difficult for South Asians to really get in the fight? And not all. There's some amazing warriors out there that I've met. There are. One yeah. of them too, more talk, and more. Right. And, and yeah. I will tell you, like, we're so many bright stars and so many that are shining, too. And this is not an additional bandwidth issue. What I realized is that it is crazy. My work in Colombia was always kind of like, oh my God, I don't have enough time. I'm going to stretch myself. But it's like, you know what? I changed the metrics, not capital, okay? Not right. technology, not infrastructure. I changed it to love and trust. That costs me nothing. Right. And the more that I love and I trust, my bandwidth is gone. Like, there, it's infinite when you lead right. with those metrics. And so right. the problem with, I, not a problem because we have, I have many problems, but I think the challenge with us moving through this for South Asians is one, how do we be vulnerable and say, oh my God, I've had it wrong. Of all these years of training and education and degrees and all that stuff behind me, I've got it wrong. How do I admit that? Oof, that is hard. I mean, it's, it's hard really for hard for South Asians. I think because because we've lumped ourselves like you you were talking about in childhood, we've lumped ourselves with the white majority because of our education, because of you know what we earn, because it's easier. Uh, to to go to 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 lean on that side, so it's so hard for us to unwind that, myself included, right? Here's the thing, though. I know it might be hard, but guess what? We will never belong there, and we right? don't. I know. And Why I think we're just to get to a destination that we do not ever want to go to. I think we're just realizing it, and it had to take our generation to kind of go through this process to get to this point to understand. Oh, wait. 
Yeah. You're never going to belong there. Let's like, this does not make sense. We can't lean in all the way this way. The vulnerabilities that, you know, that's what makes us. And I love that. Yeah. And like, yeah. like, that's something that is not easy. Don't tell anyone, everyone else's business. Like I wanted to like sit here. We haven't touched on it yet. I'm 11 years sober. It's the greatest accomplishment of my life. More so than being a dad, because I wouldn't I'm be a dad. slow clapping a little bit here. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. And those are the things that, you know, it's getting things in order. It's being able to stand, like, similar thing for me to be able to say racism exists, white supremacy exists. When I said, hi, my name is Rahul and I'm an alcoholic, the same thing where I said, I'm not black. Right. They're the, that, the toothpaste is out of the tube and I'm not getting it back. Once you stand right. to that truth, you cannot unsee that. Right. And so... I'm an alcoholic and it's like, oh boy, here we go. And because I'm not black, oh, here's race. And guess what? Like they both kill, Right. they both kill. It's an addiction to hate. It's, it's also like ingrained in our culture not to admit anything. I had a miscarriage in between my two kids and I started talking about it, not on the, on the podcast eventually, yeah. but just a girlfriend's. I don't know, four out of 10 of them had it too, had a miscarriage as well. I was like, why are we not talking about this shit? Why can't we not admit stuff? Why is the South right. Asian culture- that is not a weakness. So, right. It's not a weakness. Body. Right. It's, 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 it's a strength. Like I, you know, it's, it's just crazy, whether it's race, it, it's women's issue, whatever it is, like it's just ingrained in us to hide behind that curtain to make sure no one knows that everything is not perfect. We're and it's, 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 it's gone down, it's come down, passed on to us a little bit, you know? For, I mean, of course. And, if, and whether I like it or not, like my time's running out. I'm finding myself being more like my dad, right? So it's like, there's this thing of this youthfulness that's going and then becoming your dad. It's like, okay, if I don't start making these drastic changes now, I'm not afraid yeah. of my dad because I never will be. But like, there's going to be like, oh, I've done it. Like complacency is going to set in and there's no other moment than right now. I mean, right. I love Florence, Italy. I love to travel and, and study history. The greatest moment of our civilization is coming if we make it through, right? right. The, coming out of the Black Plague, you have the Renaissance. Coming out of this it, at the greatest moment in human history, right? Right now we're in crisis, so you can't transform in crisis. But if we are able to convene, I'm very excited about the role that South Asians are going to play in yes. rebuilding this country. I have 72 people in this house, you know, that... I didn't realize it until a couple of days ago, but they all signed their names in this book. I have all these notebooks around. I make notes in. Now I write on my mirror and stuff. But like they sign their names. I remember looking at it and going, this is the new Declaration of Independence. Seriously. I was, I was just thinking that. Like, these are the signatures. Our house, that representation is America today versus what it was in 1776. And we get to play a part in that. You know, you realize your place in a hundred years is going to be like a memorial, right? Yeah. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> they might have like a Rahul Dubai statue. In front. I'm kidding. No, I don't know. There'll definitely be something. I want to be able. There's a church across the street that's been only used one day a week. It's a gentrified neighborhood, but the church has stood, which is amazing. I want to be able to like open up like a mentorship program um, and an entrepreneurship program. That's I'll tell you, I will take any one of the 70 plus in this house up against any people I collaborate with at Stanford and we'll kick their ass. I mean, it's amazing. Amazing. The insights I like, I am wrong. And, and when I went to Columbia, I go in there and I'm like, let's do this. Da, 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 da. And they're like, uh-huh. And they're fine. They're entertaining me. But they're like, you're the dumbest man I've ever met. Like, why don't you just do this? And I'm like, Oh, right. Oh. Yeah. No, you're okay. not. 
Uh, I don't believe in any stupid question or stupid thoughts. I, it's all about just owning who you are. I can, well, you own who you are without thinking. My problem is you go in and then it's like, I'm the boss, right? It's imperialism. And it's like, you can't do that. I realized that my first mission in Colombia when I went there, I actually gave microfinance. I gave them 500 bucks. I was like, you're amazing painters. Make me sunglasses and paint them on the side, right? And they're like, okay. I'm like, because you guys are amazing. You can do whatever. And I, I believe in you. And I, yeah. I come back yeah. three months later. And I've been mentoring them and talking, and they've now definitely become family. And this is them behind me here. That's awesome. Um, well, I want to talk about so, that. So before we get into before Nick Columbia, yeah, you had mentioned the Swan Street feature film, documentary, musical, and I think book. So is all yeah. this happening? And if so, yeah. like, please tell share. Yes, um, very excited. Never thought I would have a an entertainment lawyer uh, and a screenwriter. <laughs> Um, I'm pleased to say that we, over this course of eight months last year and a couple of revisions this year, we have finished a 121 page screenplay feature film called Swan Street. And it's the story of us 70 plus in that night, but backstory going back to, you know, childhood for me and some other people uh, earlier in the day, but really shows, um, just kind of this transformation that was taking place. What, what we're talking about here really is like individuals really not understanding the the history of this country um, right. and how, sure, there's racism that exists everywhere. I get that argument and I understand why you say that. Right. But not many, there were no other countries that were founded on racist principles and slavery. Right. So right. like the movie really shows like we have the best gift in the entire world being in America and having, you've been to a homogenous country. Yes. Right. Yes. You know that, that same thinking. And so we were able to beat the United States government and authorities without knowing each other, without any strategy, being on the fly by beat, loving each other, caring for each other. And that's what this movie is. And this process of going through it has been, you know, I've been in healthcare innovation and numerous startups and also big institutions developing products. Right. You know, having something talk about your your kind of what you've been involved in and, and hands on with, right? This I'm the main character in it, so you know, and then to pitch it to like Kevin Hart, right? And like, yeah, by the way, you, you've got the hair for it, so just throwing, <laughs> throwing it out there, fantastic hair. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I will not. I will not be anywhere near the screen for this movie. I promise you that. Super <laughs> exciting, but there's so many. Other things we have, you know, there's a Muslim Uyghur from China in this house who's a refugee, you know, that there's a theme in Hollywood that needs to show representation. Right. And it doesn't need to be fictional. Okay. So in terms of like, are you looking for people of color to direct? Yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah. I, the first, first, so. first round we're going to social impact kind of people of color. Okay. You know, and the process is, is kind of like, so like five stages. Um, you know, we're looking for an attachment. And that's like either a celebrity or director or a production house right. that is going to be able to take us to the studio. We've talked to studios. They're very excited. Uh, they okay. love the story. Right. They need an attachment. And that's the process. Now, I'm not here to disrupt Hollywood yet. <laughs> we're, oh, it's we're happening. Learning, it's happening. We're learning the supply chain. We're learning the process. But here's the thing. I go back to value. And the value is we lived a tragically beautiful story that no one can ever take away from us. Right. It's unique. And you know what? It's already been captured. And so now it's just a matter of finding that one person who's going to see the beauty in what we did, other than Time Magazine, other than CNN Heroes, all right. of these things. I mean, we have an Emmy Award. So it's not like this isn't a story that's universal, but it's, it is. And the other right. thing, is, I'm very excited to take the movie to India. I mean, I've heard from India that they don't have – 
pseudo heroes named Rahul. They don't see that in real life. Right. They see Brad and they see, you know, George and Paul and all these other people that are heroes. Right. You know, we tracked really well in India and I couldn't understand why I started talking to these little journalists. I'm like, why do you guys, like this happened in DC. They're like, right. never see an Indian American. American. And well, so, they don't see, there's no Indian American in action like this, right? It's always about what you've done and your career and what your parents, how your parents immigrated here. It's all that, our, our story, but yeah, this is a different Indian American story. It just is. Yeah. And I think it's also a very American story. Too. Right. I mean, it's not, it's inclusive of what this country is. I right. mean, and what it was really, what it was founded on. I mean, they, the, the British are coming, the British are coming right outside the door. So now it's just that, that new era. So I really am right. excited about the movie. The documentary, I really wanted to expose, right? So right. That, that helps it take more of a hard line. The musical allows us, uh, which is great. I got a choreographer too. Um, That's amazing. Some musicians. We're actually working, want to work with Howard University, a historical black college, just because the talent is right down the street. So yeah. we can write 35 to 40 tracks in a okay. musical where that can introduce a lot of different themes. I mean, I, I mean, I'm walking through this house here right by the door and I hear the conversation at like 12, 15, just like, yeah, I think I'm going to get off the pill. I might go on IUD. I don't know. My boyfriend likes this. And I'm hearing themes of birth control, you know, of, of like underserved communities of what the decision-making process is. Now I'm in healthcare and I got that right here. Right. And they're talking contraception. So why not talk about, and it was serious stuff. my benefits, like they won't do it. This side effects, the ones that they give me are only make me sick. And I'm just like, wow. Right. Wow. Like I see boardrooms or yeah. 4,000 people at hymns and talk about voice of the customer and consumer engagement and intrinsic motivation. Checking right the boxes. Yep. Yeah, it's all right here. So the musical is, is going to be able to address that, but it's also going to give the voice of the authorities. Why the hell are you signing up for this shit? Right. Like, right. Tell me, like what's your voice? Like, that you have to see yourself in us and we right. see ourselves in you because we're asking that question. So that gives me opportunity. The book is the probably the newest to what my lawyer calls Swan Street Properties, uh, which I think is funny, I know. Um, but like the four pillars. And the book I think is going to focus more on, I, I love everyone that was in this house. They all had like awesome characteristics and quirks and yeah. And I wanna take like 10 or 12 of the interactions I had from that night Maybe it could even be broader of some of my travels that I've had, both Columbia, because there's some great stories there too. Right. And just a paragraph of that short story or interaction and then what that meant to me, what it could mean or what I, how I interpreted it in terms of leadership, empathy, compassion, um, and transformation. But that, uh, it's a heavy lift. And, and yet I know it's probably going to take some more fleshing out. Right, um, right, right. I mean, you are a jumping in, man, film, documentary, musical book. That's not a joke. Like, and you have, I don't know, a full-time job and your Columbia yeah. thing. Or how are you standing, my friend? This is insane. Uh, it's amazing. It, this is the one thing about it is if you think, I, you, you live it, right? If yeah. you live it, you don't, I don't have to sit here and strategize about what I need to say. I mean, you're asking me a question and I'm answering. You have the bandwidth. You have the love and trust, I guess. It's the love and trust. And the other thing is when you realize that good leaders don't want just a bunch of people to follow them. Like I want more leaders. So I've found yeah. these amazing, think about deal flow that happens in Silicon Valley where you make investments in startups, right? You want the best startups to come through so you can invest right. in them first before anyone else, right? Well, 72 of the greatest top blue chip startups came running into my house. You don't think I'm going to embrace them and keep them to myself so right. we can go change some things? Like yeah. I got lucky, you know? And that's- Yeah, totally. That's good good leaders surround themselves with smarter people. 
Yeah, just that's it. it. It's just you know, and the good thing is South Asians are super smart. That's why I'm saying we really have this role to play, not to become someone else, because we already are that. Right. We have just have to convene and we have to optimize our resources as a collective. I don't need a hundred thousand followers if you have it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the problem. I well, this is a whole other topic. We'll get out. We can talk about yes. later. But I feel like I've talked to so many people on the podcast and just friends in general. And I, I do feel like South Asians themselves don't support each other enough where like the Jewish community does, you know, other communities Huge. do support that. We have this. There's not enough room on the top issue. You know, there's well, not enough room anywhere. The issue. I mean, it's just, the Haitians. They, they yeah. do it I mean, in honor of them. It's called combete. And it's like, yeah, all right, we were really, really good. 85% of our community is really, really good here, but we're really bad at building bridges. So you 10, I'm going to pay your salary over the next three years so you can learn how to build bridges. The community right. is going to support you, right? right? Go out. Like, we don't do that. We don't do that. And, and that's and, and every single South Asian I've talked to has the same exact opinion that yep. there is a reason. There is something within our community, culture, whether, whether it was supremacy that, that we are. And it's it's the whole model minority thing. It's It's not feeling that there's enough room for all of us. It's a combination of things. And we're, I, we all, we're very white collar, at least my circle, Indian in general. I mean, we're, we're split. Right. Go to the South and look at the Hampton Inns, right? Look at the hotels and the Southern Elevens. Like, I mean, everyone, that's the biggest myth that I'm busting these days. They're like, you guys are so successful. I'm like, ah, like as a group, like we're really, it's, it's equal. But if you look at my circle of South Asians, very, very white collar. Right. And that is where you're not sitting there. You're, you, you, it's, you don't get involved. No right. one asks you, what can I do for you? Like no. the light bulb that went no. on in my head was in Colombia was, this has nothing to do with me. And I asked to ask them, what are they good at? What do they want? When I was in this house and 72 people and playing host, it had zero to do with what I wanted. And I asked them what they what needed. What they wanted, right. What they needed. How can you help? And they needed just to be safe and to be comfortable. That's something right. I can do. Right. So we never ask that question because it's never to asked each other. Question. We don't do it to we each other. I feel like. Yeah. No. And that's and something I think, I think we start we asking like, I, I, you know, edit this out if you want to, but I'm trying to leave with example. Whatever you needed me for on this podcast, I am going to give you. Right. No. Care. And, and, and that's that, support. Right? That's, support. that's support. Right. And, and I, will, I will tell you how appreciative I am, honestly, not to sound cheesy of each of my guests, because I, I have had many... I would say, quote unquote, friends that are have been in higher places that are in higher places that are have happily not responded. Hmm. That yeah, and and it, it for whatever reason they want to give me, but it is showing a lack of support, especially when I was starting off. Yeah, and so to me, anyone that gives me an hour of their day to tell their story, it's a big deal to me. You know? It's a big deal. There's also times where, like, if even if they don't, can't do the introduction or can't read. I mean, there's a lot of people that can't give me two hours to read the screenplay. That's a heavy lift, right? I right. get that. And like, right. so I'm not upset at all. But like, it, it, there's certain things where you know what? I can't talk to you right now because my lawyer won't let me. But here's the thing: I have an idea. Let's spitball this. Maybe this is something you can do with other people, or let right. me get you my friend to speak with you, and maybe you guys can talk about this. That's still support, right? Yeah. Like. Any and kind of support. A response, yeah. even. A response. <laughs> like a anything. Response nice. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about the Columbia Social Impact Endeavor really quick. So tell me about that as much as you can in the next five minutes. And then I promise I won't bug you for, you know, for a while now. I'll That's bug you though still. Don't worry about it. No, we can, we can pick this back up if we need to. But, you know, what was amazing is I've been blessed um, to be able to travel both 
both for leisure and for, for work. And now I've combined that together in the last five, six years, you know, 31 countries. But in the last, since I've become sober, I've, I've gone to 21 countries in, in seven years and been able to really meet some amazing people. I went to Medellin, Colombia at a, a, a four day, I'm supposed to go to California. My meetings got canceled in California and I had four days like of nothing on my calendar, which never happens. And so I was like, you know what? I've never been to Medellin. I had been down to South America, all over South America, but I'd never been to Colombia. I'm like, I'm gonna take four days, go down there, no jet lag. I land down there. And the reason why I'd gone down there still is it was voted one of the most innovative cities in the world. Now I'd seen Narcos and I'm like, wait a second here. This is crazy. Pablo Escobar, the Barrios. How does this place use right. ingenuity and win the award? And what they did was they used just everyday stuff. They used a ski lift from Aspen. They used a, and from the French Alps to put in public transportation and use these sky gondolas that 75,000 people use every day to get around this Andes region. And I was like, that's amazing. I'm going to go down there. So I went down there. And the one thing that I really wanted to do was see this neighborhood called Comuna 13. It was the poorest neighborhood, most violent neighborhood on the planet during the 80s and 90s. It was the area that was attacked by their own government to get insurrections out and killed over 900 people. And I wanted to see the transformation that took place because after that took place, the government gave people paintbrushes, paint, instruments, all of these things to really bring in life into the area. And 225 murals were created throughout these three mountains of the barrio called Comuna 13. They put in six outdoor escalators connecting these three mountains and took the commute of the people from an hour and a half to get down to the city center to six minutes. Wow. And that was $4 million spent. So I was like, this is amazing. We take $100 million to break something in healthcare and start over. And they were able to like transform the whole neighborhood. But one thing I realized, I talk about platforms, right? We talk about platforms in healthcare or just in general. The definition of a platform is two ways. It has to be push and pull communication, the ability for both parties to send messages and to reach each other and have access. Well, what that escalator did was in mind for the people who lived there to shorten their commute, but it also gave access to the rest of Medellin, access to Communa 13. So they started getting tourists and people started going. And so I show up, I find, I'm like, I wanna go, I'm anti big tour commercial tours. I've had too many bad ones. Yep. I find Communa 13 tours. I Google it. I keep looking. It's all his paid stuff and like all these really big commercial stuff. And I find on page four, Storeway Stelly, Story, Stairway Storytellers. And I click on it. And it's this kind of broken, decrepit site. And I'm like reading it. I'm like, local person gives tours. I'm like, local meaning Medellin. All right, cool. It's like, what's happening? Hi, I'm Steven. Meet me at this metro station at two o'clock. Okay, great. I'm like, the worst metro station in Medellin, two o'clock in the afternoon. I show up with Steven. I show up there and he's got a name tag. It says Steven, <laughs> one year old kid, ponytail down to his ass, tats everywhere, piercings. I'm like, this is gonna suck, right? There's like <laughs> six other people in this tour, two Germans, a French guy. I'm like, all right, whatever. We're walking and he's talking a mile a minute. Now, Colombia is not very good at English. Like the Colombians do not, it's just not developed enough. And right. I'm wondering, He's gotta be a college student. He's speaking great English. He's coming with passion. This guy's good, right? I'm watching him. Right. He knows everyone high fives. We walk up to the main area. It's art, energy, people going about there every day. And I'm like, again, I've been traveling for a while now. I'm like, how come I've never heard of this? There was this invigorating Daisy energy that was like pulsing through me. And I'm like, oh my God. So we're going through this tour. I break 
away. I'm about 40 yards away from him looking at things and like looking back over my shoulder to see where they are. I'm not even listening to him. And I come back and I hear him go, I used to live over there, but now I live on mountain number two. And I'm like, wait, you grew up here? And he goes, yeah. I go, when did you learn English? Because no one, they're not teaching English. He goes, oh, 18 months ago, I saw gringos coming and I thought, hmm, I'm going to go teach myself English. So I watched Bugs Bunny cartoons with a notebook. I go, what are you doing later? You need to come to my hotel. I'm not gay. I'm in innovation. What you guys have here is amazing. <laughs> and he goes, okay. Right. And I go, he goes, what's your number? I go, oh, yeah. Your people stole my phone three days ago. I don't have a phone. Call the hotel because my phone got pickpocketed like my first hour there. So he nice. finds me, comes to the Intercontinental. We sit down by the pool for three hours. I tell him about passion and innovation and this, and he's just there. He brings his artist friend, Yorch, okay, that they've been friends with since they were two. And I'm like, I don't know what it right. is about you guys, but there's something special. And instead of investing in a company, okay. well, I'm just investing in you guys. So, and from there, that was trip one. I went back three months later in December. We decided to microfinance sunglasses, which was an epic fail. I went back three months after that, and I realized I needed to have a footprint there. So I basically walked around the community and I said, what's your biggest goal? He says, to buy my mom a house. I go, how much is that house right there? He goes, oh, my God, it's so expensive. It's $25,000. And I'm like, buy it, convert the first floor to our offices, keep floor second, third, and fourth to yourself. Congratulations, you just bought your mom a home, and our company's name is Alvarez Dubay. And he goes, what? I go, Let's get to work. And so it was my number one metric was to create ethical jobs. And it was asking them what they were good at. So they started telling me they can sew. They know how to make shoes. They can paint. So I started looking and investing in the things that they were good at rather than things that I was good at. Next thing you know, right. we have a garment factory, an art gallery, a shoe company. And I comply in the supply chain. And I have 11 amazing artists, six people who can make shoes, 14 seamstress. Then I wanted to make rubber soles, 100% rubber soles, natural rubber soles. I'm in the rainforest. I look at Steven after one year and I go, I don't like the fact that we're decimating the planet with our fashion. And he's like, yeah, what do we need to do? I go, I'm from Detroit. I remember we made tires using rubber from Columbia. Let's go grow rubber. He goes, what? I go, I'm serious. We have the rainforest. Let's go use natural fibers. He's like, okay. I'm like, do you know anyone who has land or can farm? And he's like, my whole family, five hours away, is farmers. They work on an avocado farm. I'm like, let's go. We go. I'm wrapping this up right now. Get to grandma's house who lives on the side of the Andes Mountains in the rainforest at 9,000 feet. Grandma and uncle aren't home, so we have to go find them. I'm hiking in silk Italian capris and Margella shoes through the Andes with a machete to find uncle. As to you tell should be. Grow yeah, as it should be. And yeah. to find his uncle so we could grow rubber tree plants. So I could put 100% natural rubber in these artsy shoes. And he looks at me and goes, why don't you grow avocados? And I'm like, because I can't put avocados in my shoes. He goes, your goal is to make money so you can actually fund programs, right? And I said, yeah. He goes, so let's grow avocados so you can make money. And I was like, oh, my God. Why don't I? Why am I going to grow rubber trees? You guys know how to grow avocados. You work on an avocado farm. And that was it. I bought, we bought 75 acres. We have 5,000 avocado trees. Uh, in the Andes that is co-owned 50% with the indigenous people of Arau, Colombia, that is Stephen family. And we yield 3.6 million U.S. dollars of avocados starting next harvest. And that was all by taking a free walking tour. I did not expect that story to turn that way. <laughs> there you go. That's amazing. He owns so quickly, I know, you have, I, I, I know you have to head out, but 
avocados, the, the shoes, all that stuff. Where were you selling the avocado? Did they come like Whole Foods? Like where where are those? Yeah, we haven't had our sold? first harvest yet. Yeah, so we're actually it's regional distribution. Okay. There's a company okay. down in the multinational in South Africa called Westphalia Fruit Company that actually supports small farmers. We played a small role of what they do on a bigger scale. We have a contract with okay. them. Right now, the going rate is $3.20 per kilo um, avocados, and we have 40 tons of avocados coming in our next harvest. So we're excited. So next Columbia trip, can I roll with you? Because this sounds You amazing. absolutely can. I've taken anywhere from distinguished professors at Stanford to the World Bank to I've taken six people from my house to Columbia in that short period of time. So I would love for you to come. Let's do it. We definitely could use more Rahul Dubais out there. What a fantastic interview. If you guys want to check out his story online, it definitely won't be a problem. I think he has like 18 million hits. As always, you can follow me at Tucker Dallet Podcast. And you know what, guys? Rate and review on Apple if you can. It really, really helps. Next week, I'll be publishing my second newsletter. See what I did there? So sign up if you feel like it. Amitucker.substack.com. And as always, a new episode's coming out next week. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for the support. Love ya. This is Tuckered Out. Out.